Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We're a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Habakkuk as you turn in there. Um, we've been in a series called Faith and Frustration for two weeks, and this is our final week in the book of Habakkuk. I know some of you are excited about that. Um, but uh, it's been... It's been a good look at what faith looks like, even in the most frustrating of times. Uh, just to kind of confess to you, uh, you know, I know what you think about me. I know you think that I'm always like very pastoral and like very reverent all the time. I don't know why you're laughing. Um, so this week, actually, I went to a hospital visit with my mother. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to say anything mean because I'm in the pulpit. But uh, I was standing there at the desk, and I was trying to, like, get some information out of the lady behind the counter. And it was like the medical DMV, right? It was like, can you help me? Like, I wanted to bang on the glass. And, and I walked over, and I sat in the uh, waiting room with my mom. And I thought to myself, man, how embarrassing. Like, I did not respond well in frustration. Like, I mean, I didn't like say a bad word or anything, so don't think anything bad. But, you know, I was just like, I didn't, I didn't really respond the way that I should have responded in faith and living a life of faith in frustration. And so there's times when we are going to be frustrated and there's times when we're going to have to really dig down deep and anchor ourselves to who Jesus Christ is to kind of get through different situations. And so I don't know what you've been going through over the last few weeks or, or months or even years, but there's, there's a hope that we have in Jesus Christ that anchors us even in the most frustrating of times. Habakkuk is a minor prophet, just to kind of catch you up, in the southern uh, kingdom of Judah. And he is he's prophesying at a time when uh, he's asking, God, why, is, is, uh, your pe- why are your people so uh, violent and evil and wicked? And why are they so uh, led towards idol worship? And why are they responding this way? And, and so he's asking these difficult questions. And God responds with, yeah, I see it, and I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans or the Babylonians to come in and, and punish you. And he says, as we saw last week, well, that's not fair. You know, they're, they're far worse than we are. Why wouldn't you punish them? And so sure enough, as you go through that second chapter, he says, oh, yeah, yeah, you're going to be disciplined, and they're going to be punished. God's people are disciplined. And people who don't know the Lord are punished for their wickedness. God's wrath is upon them. And so he kind of gets to that, and he gets to this point where he's talking about the idols that are in their life. One of the things that we've learned over the last few weeks is a right faith doesn't erase or answer our deepest questions, but it does anchor us when we ask them. And the reason is, is because quick fixes do very little to grow faith. God wants us to grow in our faith with him. And so I want to pray for us as we jump into Habakkuk. We'll be in chapter 2, starting in verse 18, and we're going to finish it out today. Uh, But let me pray for us as we jump into God's Word. Father, we thank you so much for your Word. God, we ask that you would speak to us clearly now by the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit. You would awaken our souls to you. You would awaken our hearts to you. And God, that we would place you as the ultimate affection in our life, that you would hold the place of highest regard, that God, no matter what circumstances or situations or frustrations we're going through, God, that we would anchor ourselves to you. God, that we would look to you and we would long for your return. In Christ's name, amen. First thing I want you to see is when your faith is frustrated, avoid turning to idols. When your faith is frustrated, avoid turning to idols. So sure enough, he's, he's talking about the Babylonians, the Chaldeans here in verse 18. And so if you want to follow along there with me, verse 18 of chapter 2. What profit 
is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless, idol, when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to the wooden thing, Awake to the silent stone, Arise, can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. He's talking about the Babylonians' um, idol worship, but the truth is we often will turn to idols when we're frustrated. We'll turn to things that we can control. We'll turn to things that we think can be a quick fix in a time of frustration. Uh, the ladies' Bible study on Wednesday night, they're going through a study called No Other Gods, and Kelly Minter says this, Too often we profess God, but look to everything else to function as Him. Even perfectly good things. Things that in and of themselves are pure and right and gifts from God, but have become a problem simply because of the placement they have in our lives. What she says and what Habakkuk says here about idols is that we often will place things that are inanimate objects as, as things in our lives that we hold ultimate. Man, if I could just have this, I would be able to get through this situation. It would help ease the pain of the frustration that I'm going through. So when you're frustrated in your faith, avoid turning to idols. When we are frustrated in our faith because of things we can't control, it's very tempting to turn to instant saviors and short-lived satisfactions and fixes. It's very easy to do that. When we are frustrated in our faith, we must avoid turning our ultimate affections to created things for our ultimate satisfaction, source of identity, and sense of security, because that's idol worship. What we need to understand about idolatry is that a simple definition of idol worship is to believe that anything besides God can help us or to hold something as more important to us than God. It's very easy to look to things that are created in this world in times of frustration for our ultimate satisfaction. I'm so frustrated in my walk with God right now. If I just had this, this would make me feel better. This would, this would get me through a, a certain situation. It, it's easy to look at things as our source of identity. Well, you know, all these things are falling apart, but if I could just be this, if I could just have this identity, then I could, I could, I could deal with these problems. And sometimes we look to things or other people as our sense of security rather than to God. If I just had this. You see, true worship is living to the glory of God, the creator. Idolatry is living for the glory of creation. A simple uh, thing many uh, scholars have said is idols are good things that present themselves as ultimate things that are temporary functional saviors. If I could just have this. So here's a good question to reveal if you have idols in, in your heart. Is my worship more about self-gratification or Christ-exaltation? That's a very difficult question. Is my worship more about self-gratification or Christ-exaltation? Now, what we like to do is we like to think of worship as what we just did, which was awesome. We had really good corporate worship this morning. It just felt like, man, we were singing to the king this morning in, in corporate worship. 
That's great. That's part of worship. But really what Paul says in in Romans 12 is present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. It is your reasonable act of worship. So what worship is, is what happens all week long as you present your life to Jesus Christ because he is worthy of all glory and honor and praise. So what you work towards, what you sacrifice for, what you long for is to give God credit in your life. God is worthy. So when I ask you the question, is my worship more about self-gratification or Christ's exaltation, what you have to ask yourself is what I'm working towards, what I'm sacrificing for, what I'm planning and meditate on, schedule, fixate, participate, or obsess over, are these things that bring me gratification or are they things that bring God glorification? Wow. You see, idols very easily will slip into our lives because they are something that we can get instant gratification from. When I'm frustrated, I want this to make me feel better. It's very easy to sacrifice, to work towards, to plan towards, to obsess over little things that have, as Habakkuk says, no breath in them at all. Awake. Arise. He says it's just gold overlaid or silver overlaid. There's no real substance to it. It's just surface level worship. You will worship what you ultimately love most. This takes us back to the first, uh, the Ten Commandments. The first and second one I'll read this way in Exodus 20, 1 through 6. This may be familiar to you. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. He says, look, number one, have no other gods before me. And if you have other gods before me, then you're quickly going to find yourself being uh, led towards idol worship. So here's a good way to remember that. Idol worship always gives birth to idol worship. I-D-L-E, idol Worship always gives birth to I-D-O-L, worship, idol worship. When God and Jesus Christ cease to be ultimate in our lives, when they cease to be our source of security, our source of identity, our source of hope, when that ceases to be there as the anchor that holds us in times of frustration, we will find ourselves in idol worship. Well, just kind of dead or lazy or not enthusiastic about it. It's just kind of idle. It's not going anywhere. It turns into idol worship. This is what Paul says in Romans 1, 21 through 25. He speaks about idol worship in this way. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and the creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. It's so easy for idols to cause us to think about self-gratification more than Christ's glorification. And so what, though they knew God, 
They began to exchange what they knew about God for things that would give them pleasure and gratification. Jesus would say, say this in Matthew 22, 36 through 40, Teacher, which are the greatest commandments in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Love determines what you worship. What you hold as ultimate will then lead your loyalty. Love is the reason behind every act of loyalty, obedience, and worship. A simple question is, do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength this morning? Love enables loyalty. Without love, loyalty is lost. Without loyalty, obedience is lost. And without obedience, worship is lost. So let me explain it to you this way. This is a little bit easier. Love God through Christ. If we will put God ultimate, if we will love God first, foremost, through Jesus Christ, then we will find a loyalty to God through the Spirit. He will give us his very own spirit so that we can live a life of loyalty. You couldn't do it on your own. The law shows that you cannot live the perfect law. So you need the spirit. So if you want to be loyal to God, it starts with love. I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you will see it in, in your loyalty towards him. Loyalty leads to obedience. Obedience through God with a new heart. You, you now want to obey God. It's not that you're forced to obey God. It's not that you have a bunch of religious rules that you have to follow. It's just that you now want to live in loving loyalty to God. Therefore, you are obedient to God. And when you want to be obedient to God, you will worship God. Because you can't worship God unless you're obedient to God. You understand how this kind of goes? Like this is working through and you will worship God in spirit and truth. This is what he said at the woman at the well. There's coming a day. And it doesn't matter if you worship here or worship there, if you're on this mountaintop or this temple. It doesn't matter because there's coming a day where people will worship in spirit and in truth, where they will love God through Jesus Christ. They will be equipped with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. They will be loyal and they will be obedient and they will worship as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. And from that, you will find freedom from slavery to sin. Many of us claim Jesus Christ. We claim God, and yet we struggle with the bondage of sin and slavery. And could it be that we've allowed an idol to supersede where God sits in our life? We've looked for something that would, that would cause us more gratification in the moment, more satisfaction in our frustration. Because here's the opposite of that. Love and idolatry, to love an idol, which is idolatry, will lead to loyalty to self-gratification. Loyalty to self-gratification will lead to, lead to sacrifice for self-preservation and pleasure. And that will lead to bondage to sin and spiritual blindness. We see this all the time in the church. Though they knew God, they denied God to pursue their own pleasure. They went towards idol worship. They became loyal to self-gratification. It goes back to the very question I asked you. Is your worship more about self-gratification or Christ's glorification? Because when we begin to live our life for self-gratification, we will find that we are looking for all the things in this world that we can put in our life that will make us feel better. And that leads to sacrifice for self-preservation and pleasure. Well, I just need to do what's right for me. 
And when you see that someone who once said they believed in God, now worshiping an idol, they become loyal to whatever gratifies them. They will then sacrifice whatever it is they need to sacrifice for their self-preservation and their pleasure. Therefore, I don't want to be in this marriage anymore because it doesn't do what I need. I need to think about myself. I need to be self-preserving. I need to seek self-pleasure. I need to do what's right for me. I've not been doing what's right for me. Now I need to be pulling back. And it all comes from a loyalty and a love that is misplaced. And when you begin to sacrifice your time, your resources, your money, your relationships for self-gratification and self-pleasure and self-preservation, you'll find yourself in bondage to sin and spiritual blindness. And the reason I put spiritual blindness there is because there are so many people who say they love Jesus Christ and they don't see the severity of the sin that is in their life. They don't see that the path that they're going down is leading them towards destruction. They are in bondage to something that is going to one day either kill them or kill their relationship with the Lord. So, idolatry. When you're frustrated in your faith, avoid turning to idols. Verse 20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Zephaniah 1.7, be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guest. He says all these things about the Babylonians and the Chaldeans and their idol worship, but the Lord is in his holy temple. He is worthy to be praised. Zephaniah, he says this, he is he is so worthy that we should be silent before the Lord, that we should be, there should be a stunned silence, mouths open, standing in awe of who God is and what he has done, because the day of the Lord will appear. We know that judgment will come, but in this Old Testament, there's a day of the Lord where he will come and he will put on flesh. God in the flesh will enter into humanity. And it says the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He prepared himself to be the sacrifice for sin so that those who are far from him, those who are in wrath, can know God and be saved through Jesus Christ. He has prepared a sacrifice and he has consecrated his guest. There is no way to be holy outside of Jesus Christ. And one day we will be his guest at the table of the Lord. Amen? I see that you're in stunned silence. By that. Second thing I want you to see is when your faith is frustrated, submit to the will of God and his mercy. Submit to the will of God and his mercy. Let's pick up in chapter 3, verse 2. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman. And the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. That verse there, it's repeated on the screen. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. Habakkuk comes to a point in his frustration where he accepts the report. He accepts the bad news that the Chaldeans are coming, the Babylonians are coming. He accepts the report. He no longer is praying selfishly. He's no longer saying that's not fair. He's no longer telling God to stop judgment. He's no longer telling God that his ways are wrong. He accepts God's word and what's going to come about. He accepts the things 
that things in his life will not get better for the moment. But in his faith, he will frustratingly see the fall of Judah. Habakkuk is on board with God's plan. Not because he likes it, but simply because it's God's plan. God's plan and his word for you have more to do with your eternal salvation and less to do with your current situation. Can I ask you a question? Are you on board with God's plan, whether you like it or not? Because it's God's plan. God, your ways are higher than my ways. Romans 8, 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Though the suffering may happen here on this planet, on this earth, in the flesh, there is coming a day where this won't even compare to what God has planned. It won't even compare. It'll pale in comparison to the glory of God in all eternity. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. Just because you have fear does not mean you don't have faith. You, you might need to hear that today. Because you might be facing something and, people are, and you're telling people, I'm just scared, I'm just scared. And, and their response, and they mean well, might be, well, you just need to have faith. You can have faith and fear at the same time. Just because you're frustrated does not mean you don't have faith. It says, in the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. I love that Habakkuk knows that God's wrath is coming. But God has a mercy. He's a merciful God. Judgment and salvation go hand in hand. In God's wrath on sin, he offers mercy through Jesus Christ. Sin will not go unpunished. For those of us who are in Jesus Christ, the wrath of God for our sins was placed on him on the cross. The full wrath of God was placed on Jesus Christ so that he can show us mercy and salvation. It says, God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah, which is a worship song. You'll see at the end of the chapter, this is, this is a worship song. So good. We should sing this one, Chip. Everyone will be encouraged. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. This reminds us of the fact that Habakkuk knows that God is the God of salvation, that he's done it before and he'll do it again. He knows that when they were in the wilderness, that God showed up and he shined a bright light in the wilderness, that he redeemed his people. He said in Deuteronomy 33, 2, the Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. God showed up in the wilderness, from the south in the wilderness. Habakkuk chooses to worship God because God is the God of salvation. Habakkuk declares that God is to be worshipped in the wilderness. Here's a good question for you. Can you worship God from your wilderness? In the darkest, most frustrating times of your life, when you're full of fear and you've received bad news and you know that more darkness and more frustration and more hurt is coming, can you worship God from the wilderness? You may be frustrated. You may be fearful. You may feel like you are dry and parched. You may feel like you are in for a rough ride, but you can still look to the horizon 
for his light to shine in the darkest moments of your life. The third thing, keep, when your faith is frustrated, worship God regardless of the circumstance or the outcomes. Verse 16, Habakkuk chapter 3, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Again, Habakkuk says, look, I am trembling in fear. I am quivering at the sound of judgment. Rottenness has entered my bones. I'm, I'm nauseous at the thought of what I have to face. But I will wait on the Lord. I will wait. And the presence, the presence of fear and frustration is not the absence of faith. I want you to see that again. We see it in the life of Jesus in Matthew 26, 36 through 41. As he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Sometimes in our faith walk, our flesh will be weak. But know the Spirit is willing. Know that in times of frustration and fear, we walk the same path that our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ did. He was sorrowful even to the point of death. He was struggling, but he was anchored to his Father. Verse 17, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like, a, like the deer's. He makes me tread on the high places. Look at where he ends here. He ends saying, even, even if it never gets better, even if... Even if the tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vine. Even if it's dead. Even if the olive fails and the fields give no food. Even if, even if we're impoverished. Even if the flock is cut off. Even if we're separated. Even if there's no herd in the stalls. Even if we, we have nothing to come home to. There's complete desolation. I will rejoice in the Lord. Habakkuk declares his covenant to the Lord in a marriage commitment and vow. Do you remember your marriage vows, those of you who are married? I remember when we were, we were so young when we got married. We still are young, right? Yeah. So uh, we were so young. We were, we were young, 20s, naive, you know. We're up there, and, and you know, we're going through the premarital counseling, and he's like, all right, you've got some options. You can write your own vows, or we can do the, like the repeat after me's. And I was like, oh, we're doing the repeat after me's because I will mess this thing up, right? Like we're, no, you write it, you tell me what to say, I'll just repeat whatever you say. And so we did this part where it was the I blank, take you blank, 
I, Jeff, take you, Abby, right? Okay, so I take you to be my lawfully wedded wife, and you, husband, uh, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish from this day forward until death do us part. You remember saying that? Yeah, good. Okay. Uh, a little marriage counseling here on the front. Um, yeah, there's, there's this moment where you get to this point, and you're... I mean, I was 21 when we got married. Yeah, I can't even remember it so long ago. I was 21 when we got married. And like, you're like, yeah, I'll just repeat. I'll repeat. Whatever you tell me to repeat, I'll repeat this. At age 21, you have no idea what, what really you're saying. Amen. Right? All, the, all y'all in here, y'all are like, some of y'all are elbowing. You have no idea what you're getting into. Yes, for better or worse, richer or poor, sickness and health. Yeah, let's get through it. I got to kiss her, right? Like, let's get this thing going. Um, and then as you spend time together, you realize there are times of better and worse. There are times of richer and poorer. There are times where you struggle. There are times where it's sickness and health. Habakkuk is doing the very same thing with the Lord here. Habakkuk gives his marriage covenant vow to the Lord for better or worse, God, sickness and in health, until death do us unite, right? No matter what, I will never stop loving you. I'll never stop following you, and I will never stop worshiping you all the days of my life, Lord, no matter what. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, And the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, for he is good. Amen. Maybe today you need to re say your commitment vows to the Lord. God, today I just want to re say my vows to you, because you are the bridegroom, and I'm the bride. God, no matter what, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us unite, I will worship you. I will worship you with a whole heart, and I will keep you in my ultimate affection. As we close, Habakkuk, I want you to see Habakkuk, his problems were never solved, but his faith was solidified. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on the high places. God, no matter what, you are my solid rock. You give me a firm foundation to stand even when I feel like my knees are trembling. Even when I'm frustrated, I'm anchored to you. Faith anchors us to the Lord in spite of life's frustrations. We will worship God, the God of our salvation, in a covenant relationship. Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Please subscribe to hear new sermons each week.